Hello, everyone, and welcome to Sounds of Science, your podcast for everything that is health and European policy. This series of podcasts is brought to you by UCOOP, the European trade body for small and medium-sized innovative companies active in health, pharmaceuticals, and medical technologies. My name is Laurent Louet. I am a senior manager at UCOOP, and I will be the host for today's episode. Before we go on, please make sure to follow our channels on favorite podcast platforms, but also to check on our social media and ucoop.org website for the latest updates. We will focus today on, well, what is perhaps the most exciting and ambitious initiative from the Commission, and I'm talking about the European Pharmaceutical Strategy. To discuss this and also to maybe understand a little bit where um, the Commission is and what is the Commission doing, and also what we like and why we like uh, such elements, I have the pleasure to be joined today by two um, esteemed colleagues um, at UCOP, Matthias Olsen and Victor Martens. Victor, you are um, Government Affairs Manager at UCOP. Hello, Victor. Hi, Laurent. And Matthias, you are Policy Office Officer at UCOP. Hello, Matthias. Hi, Laurent and everyone out there. <laughs> Thank you guys for joining us today. Before we, we deep dive into the concrete details, it's maybe best to take a few steps back. As a lot has happened in the last few years in the area of public health, we have seen a new commission. We have seen, of course, the European pharmaceutical strategy. And of course, the COVID-19 pandemic has increased the attention to matters of public health to the general public. Where do you think we are at currently? And, you know, with so much happening at once. Victor, maybe you can start. Thanks, Laura. And I think you're right. A lot has happened. I think that's what makes this such an interesting time. Um, for those of us that have been around for at least a few years in the healthcare space, we'll probably remember that just a few years ago, before the last European elections, there was talk about, do we need a health commissioner? Do we need to change the remit of DG Santé? And I think, you know, at, at least the three of us, if not anyone else, can agree that healthcare has now probably become one of the most important policy areas that the Commission is active in today, with not just the Commission, but the public at large being really interested in what's happening. And I think that's just an incredible thing to see. And since then, we've actually seen quite a number of important leaps forward, I think, in the area of healthcare from the side of the Commission. We've had the outlining of what's called the Health Union. And I think some important steps have been taken the last few few days, if not weeks, with the European Parliament voting on the expansion of the, uh, the ECDC mandate and discussing the, um, the proposed regulation on serious cross-border um, threats last week as, uh, as well. And naturally, we can't forget about the, the other elephant in the room, uh, HERA, which despite well, potentially having, having some, some teething problems and receiving some criticism, um, also just shows some of the Commission's ambition in the space of, of healthcare policy. And probably more importantly, learning from, from the COVID experience. When we look at some of the, the regular, regulatory processes and, and other changes that we've seen, and, and hopefully they take some of that forward as well. Um, and I think we'll get into some of the detail around that a bit later. But I think we're, we're, we're excited to see just kind of how healthcare has become kind of something from, from something that might be a bit more on the fringes to something that's really taken center stage. Yeah, I think that's I think that's true, uh, Victor. It's and and you've seen in this as well. So I mean, we're here to to discuss today the pharmaceutical strategy, but but the pharmaceutical strategy, of course, is is a part of the European Commission's industrial strategy, 
And due to the pandemic and everything that has, has uh, happened over the past two years, and actually the European Commission released an updated industrial strategy where, where they focus on, on various ecosystems. And one of these ecosystems is, of course, the, the health um, healthcare uh, industry. And, uh, and so I've, I think it's, it's very interesting to, to see how, um, how we will reflect on, on, on some of the learnings that we had during COVID-19. But also at, 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 at the heart, the pharmaceutical strategy is, should be an industrial strategy. And, and it's part of the, the push for, for, uh, from the European Commission to, to enhance Europe's open strategic autonomy and also make uh, EU industry more competitive globally. So that uh, so that the pharmaceutical strategy that we will uh, we will be discussing now and that that the European Commission will slowly be presenting their proposals over the coming year, uh, so that and that to ensure that it can support innovation and the attractiveness of of the European region in the next ten years. Uh, and just building on on what you just mentioned there, Matthias, I think we we've already seen some of the initial elements of the pharmaceutical strategy, which which is this large, all-encompassing white paper from the Commission with lots of different initiatives underneath. We've already seen some of it come uh, be realized, really, in addition mm-hmm. to, to some of the, the elements that we just mentioned. The the structured dialogue on su- the supply of medicine um, is underway, which we've been privileged to be a part of as well. And I think this, um, and I think that that notion, this this open dialogue that the Commission and all the stakeholders are having, I think is is really fundamental to not just the industry, but the pharmaceutical strategy moving forward. And, and Victor, sorry, sorry to jump in here. I mean, this is really one of the big takeaways that we had from COVID-19, right? Is this, this, this open dialogue uh, between uh, public sector and, and, and private sector. Exactly right. And I think it, we, that's going to be one of those important things that we have to learn from and take forward as well. I think, you know, it's, it shouldn't be one off, but something that we just keep, we keep hammering at as well. And I think kind of the the other element of the pharmaceutical strategy, and I think something that people sometimes start interchanging with one another, is the review of the general pharmaceutical legislation, um, which I think is the other kind of probably big initiative that the commission has laid out for um, for itself. Um, and I think we'll get into we can get into that in a bit more detail uh, a bit later in the episode. I think the other thing that the commission has done, which is quite smart, and we're happy to see, is taking a bit more of a targeted uh, approach to re- reviewing the legislation. The directive and the regulation that make up the the context of the general pharmaceutical legislation touches on this whole complex web and range of different topics. And I think making sure that we touch on specific elements so that we, we avoid any unintended consequences or any kind of undesired impacts of the review is going to be incredibly important. We saw that with the last major review when it came to the medical device regulation. I think it's, it's really important that we, that's when we do come to that review, we, we take that carefully and make sure we, we touch on what needs to be reformed. So, so thank you very much, Matthias and Victor. I, I, I mean, I think that you know it, it really gives a good um, overview of what is happening, and it is quite broad and encompassing and very comprehensive. But I mean, is there anything that stands out to you that would be especially of help to ensure that uh, the future competitiveness of the European region and uh, how to make sure that indeed, while well, the European Union uh, um, stays a little bit on top in terms of um, innovation, research, and of course. Uh, 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 solutions to patients. Thank you, Loa. That's a that's a very good question. And one of the things that the European Commission has outlined in their in the revision of the pharmaceutical legislation is that they would like to introduce or or have a look at uh, how they can make the regulatory system more flexible. Uh, and what does that actually mean in um, in practice? I think if we look one year back, there's a very good example of of uh, flexibility when when you look at how the uh, vaccine candidates were were approved. 
Uh, and now I know it, it, this one year it feels like ten years perhaps, but but let's uh, let's go back a little bit. And around the the time uh, around this time last year, uh, both the FDA, so in the US and the EMA here here in Europe, and we're looking at uh, several vaccine candidates. So uh, while the um, EMA, while they had started uh, rolling reviews, and this is this is a very uh, was a very good feature because it allowed them to to look at data as it was coming in. And the FDA did not do this, um, but they had uh, experience working with uh, with these vaccine manufacturers, and they were also able to have, to have an open dialogue. Where you see this flexibility is actually in simply uh, moving up timelines. So where you have had a very fixed timeline from from the time where you first uh, send your dossier to the to the EMA, and then when you have have uh, um, these regular internal meetings where where you look at the dossier, and then when you when you uh, make a decision on whether to authorize or recommend this this um, therapy for authorization or not to the European Commission. What they what they did was that they moved up this timeline, and in the US they they approved this um, medicine around I think it was 10, 10th of December. While in the while the EMA originally was looking to do this uh, towards the end of the year, very end of the year, around 29th of December, but because they simply moved up the timeline by a few days. So they had this meeting a bit earlier. We were able to to then start distributing the vaccine much faster because it was approved um, days ahead, and uh, which undoubtedly helped protect many people uh, against the virus. So this is just a very clear example of how we can introduce flexibilities by simply shortening timelines and then having having rolling review as we as we also saw. Yeah, I completely agree with Matthias. I think kind of looking at the, the regulatory changes that, that we saw with COVID is, is really important because making sure that those processes work and if we take as much of that forward as we can into our, into our day-to-day lives, we can make sure that there's an environment that is attractive for the industry to invest in and which then further drives innovation. Looking forward, I think we also want to ensure that innovation and new therapies become available to to patients um, here in Europe and what, and the more we can do to help that, I think, I think the better. Just another example, and I think Matthias, you know, touched on it when it, in the COVID example is the waiving of of the GMO requirements when it came to to vaccines, and that touched, I think, on on the broader kind of conversation that that we're also happy to see the Commission taking forward, which is making sure that leg- the legislation is, is future proofed. And I think in that context, there's a few things that, that come to my mind as as what we'd like to see. Um, the commission consider. Firstly, I think it'd be it's going to be absolutely essential to make sure that the the EMA continues to be and is appropriately resourced so that they can assess the medicine that comes uh, come before them. Second, I think it's worth having a look at at what medicines are authorized through our centralized procedure and and how that uh, how that works. And I think something that's particularly interesting to, to us here at UCOPE is making sure that there are frameworks and guidelines in place that allow for the better use of re- real world evidence which I think is, is going to become increasingly more important as we look at some personalized medicines and some orphan medicine. Obviously, when it comes to some of these specialized treatments as well, the, the earlier we can have device and dialogue between the EMA and companies developing novel therapies, especially those that might be undertaking some, some non-traditional clinical trials. And by that, I just mean things like one-armed uh, clinical trials um, or something where they might, there might not, simply not be a mass of population to, to look at. We want to make sure that there is that engagement so that 
between the EMA and, and, and the companies so that decision-making processes can reflect the realities of, of those kind of drugs and therapies so that they can still be made available to our patients. So I think to us, those are a few things that, that stand out as where the Commission needs to make sure that, that legislation allows for these innovative technologies to come forward. Yeah, thanks, Victor. I, I just wanted to quickly shoot in as well. So, so you mentioned future-proofing. I mean, there are some technologies that have already been uh, mentioned by the European Commission in their in their communication. So, so they mention um, AI technologies, which which really require a retooling of the whole uh, regulatory system. And I know you are familiar with this topic as well, Laval. So, you, you might have have some views on this, but. But then also when it comes to ATMPs and just making the regulatory system ready for, for new types of, of advanced diagnostics uh, and other technologies that, that we might not even know about yet. This, this, is, this is key. Thank you, Matthias. And thank you, Victor. And indeed, Matthias, you're right. I think that uh, you know, we can probably uh, uh, dedicate another podcast on, on uh, indeed um, either AI uh, tools or indeed ATMPs and, and the other use of real-world evidence um, um, in, in, in pharmaceuticals. But I mean, I want to maybe so move away a little bit from, from this regulatory tools and, and framework and to maybe also you know, discuss the what is maybe also at the core of this proposal from the commission is that how do we make sure that uh, we basically continue to innovate and develop medicines that meet the current, but also and probably also most importantly, the future needs of um, European patients. Maybe Matthias, can you maybe since you, you had the mic before, just uh, you can maybe um, uh, yeah tackle this first, and, and then Victor can can jump in as well. Thank you, Laura. Yeah, I think this is a big a big topic as well. So it's, on the one hand, you need to to make these uh, therapies available, and then it is also on the other hand about bringing them to the patients in the various member states. Although it was perhaps a bit less uh, ambitious and binding for the member states than what we had originally hoped for, the, the EU HDA regulation, which was finally agreed between the uh, member states and the EU institutions, uh, other EU institutions this summer, will actually do a lot to help tackle uh, so-called access delays, where due to the different uh, systems in each member state and with each member state running parallel assessments of, of new drugs or, 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 or new technologies as, as they are introduced uh, on the market, we, we have seen that uh, some member states are able to, to assess those technologies at a much uh, more efficient and, and effective rate than other member states. And this has created this unequal access or, or access delays from when you compare, let's say, maybe Germany to, to Greece or, or any other uh, country. So, so just, to, just to take an example, and so this EU HDA regulation will, will do a lot uh, to address these access delays. Uh, but there remains to be seen uh, how, whether it will do so successfully. Uh, in order for it to do so in the next coming three years, we will need to uh, agree on the appropriate methodologies for, for assessing these, uh, these therapies jointly. And especially when it comes to, to OMPs or orphan medicinal um, products, um, there will be need to, to take into account the, the specificities of, of these uh, products that are, are meant for uh, smaller patient populations. And, and maybe kind of coming in on that as well, Matthias, something I point I mentioned a bit earlier as well, and I think where, where we see a, a role for not the commission and the strategy as a whole, is making sure that we promote an environment that encourages and rewards innovation. And part of this means having a predictable ecosystem to drive that innovation. Normally, when, when we're looking at, at some of our, our members at companies that develop drugs, 
there's an incredibly long time horizon and knowing what type of rewards you'll have or what you need to look out for is, is incredibly important. And part of that is the IP framework that rewards industries for discovering new therapies. And I think this plays a, a key role as, as an as a incentive and protection for the industry. Having predictability when you start investing these huge amounts is, is really important. And especially for some of our members that are small and mid-sized companies, some of whom you know might might be pre-commercial, and being going through all of this, I think it just highlights the the importance of it. And this becomes even more so in the case of some of the other therapies. If we're talking about things like or for medicinal products again, having that having that framework becomes all the more important still. Yeah, and and I think that we have uh, we have seen Victor in the communication from the European Commission. That they are looking to to introducing some sort of launch obligation, um, and I think this is something that we would caution against because, especially for small and mid-sized companies, this will negatively impact the development of novel medicines and what you refer to as as this uh, predictability or or the business sustainability of of these companies. So one of the issues with market launch obligations are that, uh, as I mentioned previously. There is a large degree of variance between uh, one member state and, and another when it comes to how they assess drugs, uh, how they, they agree on the, the pricing and reimbursements um, of uh, specific products. And uh, small to mid-sized companies, they face a lot of times a much greater operational and financial limitations. And so these companies, they often launch in only a few countries to start with to establish their businesses due to the increased risk that is associated with a wider uh, footprint. So, uh, so in order for to, to bring drugs to, to the market, a lot of small to mid-sized companies, they, they have to take a certain route. And then if you introduce, a, a, let's say, an obligation that you will have to, to launch a product in, in the entire European market, then we fear that the end result is that you will just introduce further delays for patients to access these uh, therapies. And, and this could, of course, have further spillover effects and limiting a company's ability to bring new therapies to the market. Thank you very much, Matthias and Victor. I think it's a, you know, we had a really nice overview of actually what is this um, European pharmaceutical strategy about. I mean, the, the pillars that are indeed we all agree on to have a more attractive European Union for for. Um, innovative medicine, but also to have a, maybe a more uh, balanced and, and, and also um, predictable as well environment, which is very important for uh, for small and medium-sized companies. And, 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 and of course, in the end, to well, what is the core of, of um, pharmaceutical industry business, indeed, to, to bring medicines and uh, new solutions to, to, to patients. So I think that's why we really achieved a the podcast objective today to give a, a really nice overview of um, this quite important, and, and again, ambitious dossier. I think that uh, it will keep us busy for the next uh, the next years. Um, but maybe also Matthias and Victor, we can, um, is there a way for um, or, um, the people listening to today's podcast to, is there a place where they can expect to hear more about UCOP's uh, view on this dossier? Or and do you have any already some um, maybe timelines or some events already also um, proposed today? Well, thanks, Levan. Indeed, I think Matthias and I hopefully, you know, managed to give give everyone just a bit of a of a whistle stop tour through the pharma strategy and, and everything linked to it. But indeed, I think there's there's a lot that we left unsaid as well. Well, hopefully at this point, um, our 
uh, our position paper, which which goes into a bit more uh, detail around you know Ucope's thoughts on the pharmaceutical strategy, is going to be online. You'll be able to find a lot more there, especially if you want to dig into some of the the specific elements. In that, you'll also find a number of our um, of our policy proposals as as to how we think some of these challenges can be addressed. Looking into the future, we plan to to bring out a, a regular blog where we'll be able to share and explore different themes uh, around the pharmaceutical strategy um, and our vision for, for what the future of the pharmaceutical sector more broadly can look like. Um, I'm, I'm really excited about it. I'm really looking forward to it and hopefully it'll, it'll make for some good reading. Um, and we, we hope to be kicking that off with our first blog coming out uh, probably sometime in December uh, this year. Um, so keep an eye out on on our, our social media channels um, to stay tuned for, for, for those. And those will then run during all of next year as well. So uh, we'll be picking apart a few kind of key topics from our, uh, that, that we see. And hopefully uh, they'll be interesting uh, for you as well. Um, we're also exploring a few other ideas, but uh, I think I'll, I'll hold on to those until they're, until they're a bit more concrete and uh, maybe just you know something to, to keep listeners intrigued uh, and <laughs> and curious to to listen to to what else might be announced in these podcasts but i think matthias you've got a bit more of a of a short term event coming up as well yeah that's right so on the on the 12th of october we'll be doing an um a virtual conference on the Europe Speed and Cancer Plan and looking at how the Europe Speed and Cancer Plan can help uh, bring advanced diagnostics at, and personalized uh, therapies to patients alongside more foundational cancer therapies. We were hosting it together with our uh, German member, uh, BPI, and we have an interesting uh, lineup of speakers. And uh, in order to register for that, uh, you can go to our webpage. We will find more information. All right. Thank you very much, Victor and, and Matthias, for um, yeah, well, for your time today. Uh, indeed, I, <laughs> I think we can all agree that um, there will be definitely um, we will speak again. Uh, I'm sure on, on on either on our podcast or so via the blog uh, series as well, because indeed, I mean, this is a very this is quite again ambitious pr uh, proposal, and I'm sure that it will indeed um, sit on our, sit on our table for the next uh, next years anyway. So, um, thank you again for your time today, and to our listeners, well, um, thanks again for um, connecting with us today, and stay tuned for the next episode of UCOPE Center of Science. Have a good day, and see you all. Thank you, everyone, and thank you for listening. Thanks, and enjoy the rest of your day.